More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. DLC Management Corp, understanding the value of human capital. As the CEO of DLC Management Corp, an entrepreneurial real estate firm he co-founded with his father, the late Steve Ifshin, in 1991, Adam Ifshin oversees a portfolio that contains over 20 million square feet of retail space concentrated in the eastern United States. Initially, Adam's primary concern for the company was expansion. Now, culture is his priority. Business, in his view, is not just about the numbers. Sustaining success is a matter of investing in DLC's people. The retail property giant's core values reflect Steve Ifshin's unwavering belief in his son's capabilities as a family business leader. Under Adam stewardship, DLC has become one of the leading private owner operators of open-air shopping centers in America. We spoke to him about why he never regretted not going public and the critical importance of developing exceptional talent to ensure the future of DLC. Enjoy this episode with Adam. Business at the end of the day is only about people. Someone or someone else or someone can figure out all the other stuff, right? It's only about people. In the real estate business, particularly in the United States, there is an obsession with the deal, the asset, mm-hmm. the building. Mm-hmm. The number of people I know, including some very, very dear friends who have built extraordinary things and never made a dollar and almost gone broke or gone broke doing them, is far longer than the list of people who ever started a conversation out talking about how do they make their team better. I spent the first... 15 or 16 years of building DLC, I think I was pretty focused on the team, but I wasn't focused enough on the team. And I was focused Mm -hmm. obsessively on growth. But in DLC 2.0, I I came to be convinced. And and what we do is not fancy, right? So we don't have any fancy assets. We don't have any brochure assets. You know, you're trying to take a long-term view in a very volatile industry as well. So you have a lot of counter currents to thinking long-term and being that family business that thinks multi-generationally, like how do you manage that? So the answer's layered. The first part of it is, is that you stick to your mission, you stick to your business plan, you even more over-communicate than you should on a daily basis as a leader to your team about what matters. It's, it's very easy right now for people to get self-paralyzed because of what's going on. So we always say, we want you looking in the windshield, authoring about the things that you and the team can control. And Mm -hmm. we're gonna let what's in the rear view mirror take care of itself. And we solve challenges. That's what our team does. We solve challenges. That's how we create margin. That's how we create wealth. That's how we create the ability to have a bigger bonus pool at the end of every year for the team. It's very important right now, I think, for any type of leader, but certainly for a family business leader, to continue to impress upon the team 
that there is still immense opportunity right now and there are immense challenges and that we need to be focused on what are our goals, what are our initiatives to make us better at reaching those goals. Um, We need to be very focused on executing fast because no control events could very easily cause a recession here. Not all, but the overwhelming majority of our tenants are value-oriented. They're about getting everyday goods in the hands of the consumer to consume them at an extraordinarily effective price. Walmart, Target, the big grocery chains, their businesses are extraordinarily extraordinarily healthy and they are expanding and they can't get any credit for it. Our biggest concern right now is speed to defeat the possibility of an unexpected recession. So our biggest focus is how do we build the best possible team? If we don't have the best possible team and we don't have enough people to exploit the opportunities we have and to defeat the challenges that we face, then we can't win. Plain and simple. I can generate more business than the team I have can execute on. So getting the team to make the team bigger is a big challenge. The interesting thing that I think that obviously separates the non-family business from the family business a lot of the times is that you do have access to tacit knowledge, historical knowledge in the business that maybe other in other companies goes lost. Having been in the business with the previous generation, there's a transfer of the business history and the business network that we managed to preserve maybe better than if like say one CEO follows another in a corporation. It, it would be interesting for us to understand, did you and your father, did he ever tell you about a time in the business, in this industry as well, that reminds him of what you guys are facing now? Or are you really as this generation currently in unprecedented waters? Like, you know, do you feel like, okay, this is one of those times where there is no drawing on history or is it, is, is there something that your father maybe told you at some point where you're like, yeah, now this rings true for where we are today and where you can draw upon how he acted at the time? So we have a very unusual family business development arc. And I think it's important for you to understand that, to write effectively about us. This business, which was started in 1991 from scratch by him and I, it's not like my father had been running a similar business for 20 or 30 years, a generation before me, and therefore we could draw on his experience there. What we were able to do and we continue to do every day is we draw on his character and we draw on how he came and brought his brain power to the organization every day. The business plan, to the extent that there really wasn't one for DLC, was all mine. It wasn't his. And he would be the first person to have told you that. You know, we grew this out of the ashes of a failed development business of his. My father built three three businesses effectively over a 30-year period before DLC. Um, all three of them got to sort of the 20 to 30 person size and imploded. He would have been the first person to tell you he never could have run a business of this scale. My father was a deal maker. He was a tactician. He was not a strategist. He said to me once over dinner, He said, I think I finally figured out the greatest decision I ever made in my business career. I said, what do you think that is? And he says, 
I was smart enough to know that when you were 22, you were way smarter than I was. And that I would be, be in my best interest to have you as my partner, which was very flattering at the time. Um, he brings a really key component to what makes people be successful in our hashtag success culture. Our cultural mantra is called hashtag success. We, we define it as working together to make DLC a more enjoyable, respectful, profitable, productive, and respectful place to work. What my father brings, his ultimate multi-generational legacy to the business is a resolute optimism that with the right team, we can solve any challenge, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, an extraordinary work ethic. Uh, we went all the way down to the end of a roadshow. And I was in a conference room at the San Francisco airport at the end of the roadshow. And I was on a phone line with my team and all of this bankers consortium. We would have been the largest real estate IPO in the United States that year. And I called it off. I called it off because I thought the value was unfair. I thought the value was too low. It is, in retrospect, the greatest business decision I ever made. But we owed a group of banks $365 million out of $1.2 billion dollars. And the 365 million was all maturing between Labor Day and December 31st, 2010. It was August 12th. And every one of those banks was waiting for a wire the following week from the IPO proceeds to pay them off. My father is six weeks out of the hospital. He is barely back to work. He's been back to work maybe two, three weeks. And at this point in time, he was really working on special projects. He, was, he, he no longer had sort of direct line responsibility day to day in the business. He was running our development arm. He was running construction, both of which were staying out of the IPO anyway. Um, and after I listened to every investment banker call me terms that I won't repeat here, um, and the call ended, I stepped out. Literally, we were in a, we were in a private you know, fixed base operator at the San Francisco airport across from the passenger terminal. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but the water is on three sides of you. And it's loud because there are jets everywhere. And I stepped out literally onto a secured piece of the tarmac. And I called my father. It was the first phone call I made before my wife. And I said, it's off. Never asked me why. Never questioned my judgment. He said, get the plane and come home. Tell me what I need to do. I'll be in the office at 6 a.m. My father's penultimate gift, and this is what I was explaining to our director of people because she's out trying to hire 20 people. And we were having a conversation about how, to me, picking the right people who fit behaviorally and culturally is more important than resume, aptitude score, all the other stuff. And the people who fit and really excel in our culture are the ones you never have to worry about leaving. You'll always figure out a way to compensate them and they'll stay. I guess every day what we need to do is try to hire more people like my dad, right? I think that's really what his sort of legacy, multi-generational gift to the family is. My daughter is now in the business. Really? She's 24 and a half. She was not in the business when her grandfather died. She came to me six weeks after he passed and asked if I would go to lunch with her. It's good fun. Let's go to lunch. 
And I'm an idiot. I didn't see it coming. My wife saw this coming. <laughs> she says to me, I want to know if I can come to work at DLC. And I was like, I was totally floored, right? <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And she says, don't ask. I'll tell you why I want to come to work. And she says, God forbid something happens to you and mom. I don't want to be that woman who gets walked into a room, knows nothing, and gets told what to do by a bunch of men. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, got to find you a spot. <laughs> I said, you have to be patient. One gift that my father and I and my wife gave all three of my children is a severe lack of patience. And I said, you have to give me some time. I have to figure out where's the right place. And you know, you're not going to report to me and you got to start at the beginning. She said, my goal is I want to know enough about the business that I can be a sophisticated owner and investor in the business, Mm -hmm. even if I'm not an operator of the business. And I thought that that was exceedingly mature. She has brought her grandfather's timeliness, work ethic, get it done now, sort of approach to everything she's done. And I think that's been a really, that's been a delight to see selfishly as both a parent and as an entrepreneur. Um, But we're very, we're very uncertain about sort of, is this a multi-generational business or not? Um, I have three children. She's the oldest. I have a 23-year-old son and I have a 21-year-old son. My 21-year-old son is about to graduate from college in May. My 23-year-old is out and working in the music business. They all have some of their grandfather in them. Some of them have, I think, sort of the strategic thinking that I've developed. They all have their mother's hellfire stubbornness and determination. So they would be an interesting handful both to manage, but they would also be, I think, extraordinary, potentially extraordinarily, extraordinary performers in whatever they choose to do from a career perspective. But we're really, you know, we're now starting to face up to what does that all mean? One of the things that I did was I started my first business when I was 19 and I sold that business when I was 21 to go to work in my father's prior business. And I do believe pretty strongly that I want my kids to work somewhere else along the way. I want them to experience other managers, other mentors, other leaders, other business structures. I tell everybody in our business, it's really good to be in a business that fails once. I would like you to do that somewhere other than DLC. So I don't know what's going to happen from a multi-generational perspective. And I've told, I've told my children that there's clearly opportunity if you want it. I've also told them that I don't think that you don't have to come into the family business for us to have a family enterprise. Mm -hmm. I'm in a mature business. I'm in a business that people have questions about the viability and the durability of that business for a long time. I happen to have the view that Mm -hmm. we've always been a distressed opportunistic investor and there will be plenty of distress and plenty of opportunity. And I'm also of the belief and have enough faith in my team and my own leadership that we can take the skills we have and apply them to different things. So for example, in the last five years, we went from having no outside third-party business to it being about 30% of our business, where we run the real estate portions of or the full real estate portfolios for space occupiers. So we do all of the real estate work now for a $30 billion financial institution, all their leasing, all their construction, all their downsizing, 
all their site selection. We basically took our skills and outsourced it to them. They save a ton of money. They get it off their GNA. The street loves it. And we've unlocked so far in a year and a half for that one client about $150 million worth of value they didn't know they had. Just to finish the thought, I think that the business, I'm an entrepreneur, right? The first business book I ever read that I thought was brilliant as I sit here in Burlington, Vermont, was written by a guy who lives down the street, which was Tom Peters' third book, Thriving on Chaos in 1989. Mm -hmm. I believe that businesses get disintermediated. And if you build great teams, then you take that team and you roll with those punches and you move. From a family perspective, what does that mean? If you want to come be part of that rolling business, that team, then we can make a place for you. You got to earn it. And I don't know that you're ever going to run it. See how good you are, right? There's no guarantee because your last name is my last name. You're going to get to run it. What I'm trying to do is create enough cash, recurring cash flow and enough wealth so that if my son who's in the music business has a really brilliant idea and a business plan, his angel investors, his seed investors are sitting around the dinner table he grew up at. You know, I don't, I'm not a believer that I want to hand this thing down whole cloth to the three of them, a third, a third, a third. My wife and I have, have parented from the point of view that if you spend all your time telling your children what to do and how to live, they'll never be able to be great people as adults. You need to mm-hmm. teach them the skills to make good decisions. And if you do that, mm-hmm. the rest of it will take care of itself. In this industry that you're operating in, and with DLC specifically as a company, what are the skills today that will make your employees and your team like successful in the future? You know, we hear a lot about how real estate technology is now you know, the next big frontier, people investing billions and billions and stuff like that. I was just wondering, like, you know, what is your position as a CEO towards your team, towards your peers in the industry and towards your clients in terms of like, what are you developing first now? So it all comes down to team cohesion, team dynamics. You need to constantly be teaching your team to be better. Complex projects in any business cannot be solved by one person or even anymore by one person's vision. So people who are those historic lone wolf players on teams, high performers who, you know, I want to do it all myself. They have no place at DLC. Those resumes come in all the time, Mm -hmm. right? You need people who want to and get jazzed up by working on a team. You need people who are instinctively great communicators because the more complex the problem, the bigger the team, the more, the more apt it is for there to be lack of communication, miscommunication, et cetera. And you need people who are prepared to act almost like mini entrepreneurs in a team in that they need to be able to take some risk. The command and control management style that was so prevalent when I came out of undergraduate, the Jack Welch, Larry Bossidy, Steve Jobs, uh, Larry Ellison approach, that it's over. Teams are what make, is how you face those challenges. Leadership has to allocate capital, has to be really, really smart about it, because that's a big risk. It has to raise outside capital, and it has to build the best team it can possibly to me, that those are the big challenges. We invest our most precious resource, 
which is the time of our senior leaders and our senior deal makers in training our people. Because otherwise we'll never succeed. And there, I think the fact that we can call you a family business, right? Like, so, I mean, because at the moment this holds true and, and it held true even when you co-founded the business with your father. I mean, it is essentially a family owned and, and driven Without enterprise. You, you, Without it's, it's a very interesting thing though, that like there's a very clear dedication to, to the non-family talent and senior leadership, as you, as you remarked before to me, like when you said like, you know, we should raise that question, like, you know, the importance of creating space for non-family talent. Now, why is it that you think that so many family businesses are finding that hard, even though in your case, it's so clear that that approach has brought you so much success in letting like, you know, non-family members thrive and not actually like building the business to create jobs for family members? Because as you said, when your daughter came around to wanting to work for you, you had to look for where to fit her in. It's not like you sort of like created this business, like with her in mind for a certain position. So why do you think so many family businesses fail at being able to create an environment where non-family senior leadership or generally non-family talent can thrive? So not every family member is necessarily suited to any role in the business. We're a big believer in utilizing behavioral and personality assessment tools to try and find a place where a person's more likely to succeed in our business. Not everybody has the makeup to take the risk to sit in the corner office. Not everybody has the makeup to be a sales leader. Not everybody has the makeup to be an, an analytical quant on the capital markets team. So you have to find the right place. And I think a lot of family businesses now, they look in the rearview mirror too much. So they look at preserving the wealth that they've created. They look at preserving what I refer to as the business lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I think that's all very, very dangerous. Okay. I think that's exceedingly dangerous. I think it's bad for society. And I think it's exceedingly dangerous. Here's why. Family businesses and family privately held wealth is the greatest single weapon capitalism has to face the challenges that geopolitically are challenging it globally. Mm -hmm. If it decides to go home and first protect itself, then we are in for a very, very unfortunate 21st century. The strength of family business has been its willingness to look forward and not back without the constraints of SEC regulation, activist investors who want to stock up this quarter. Look, I know a lot of hedge fund guys, okay? It's about how do you how do you put that capital to work in a, in a manner that's still about capitalism, but is about helping the world from an economic perspective, right? If I create more jobs, that's good, right? I don't, like, like I said before, I don't know if my business is a business in 20 years or not. And I don't care. Mm -hmm. What I care about is, can we continue to grow? Can we continue to grow the team? grow our skills, apply those skills to solving challenges in whatever business it is so that we can continue. Uh, I'm not, at this point, I could pack it in. I could keep 25 people, quarter of what I have now. I could keep a third of the portfolio that I effectively control. It would generate enough cash flow for me and my family. 
plus what I have, I'd be fine. That's not good for society. Capital needs to work. And when you look at families that are more interested in their quarterly meeting with their family office advisor, then how are we going to grow our business? That's troubling to me. I, I don't know what our business will be in the future. I hope that I certainly hope that my children are entrepreneurial enough, whether they're operators or investors, to put that capital to work and not say, oh, I get X number of thousands of dollars a year. I can make my life work on that. And, you know, I'm going to go do X, Y, and Z. That, that's not about helping society. It's refreshing, to be honest with you, to have founder or CEO have that kind of detachment towards like, you know, what will become, what shape the business is going to take. So like, you know, have that pragmatic approach. Maybe it's also a little bit in the nature of the industry that you work in that would never have let you become comfortable and, or have would never have let you become this successful if you have become too comfortable in your or set in your ways, right? Like, so a little bit about what we talked about before about uh, adopting new technologies in order not to become the bottleneck in one's own company. But look at DLC, like as it is now, and as you like, I'm sure you have strategic goals still that you'd like to achieve where you're like, okay, well, you know, when we set out, this was our why, and this is why dad and I did it. And today I'm sure like, you know, it's incredible how far you've come, but I'm sure there's still stuff that you'd love to achieve with DLC in this industry. So are these things very concrete in your mind or are you today like, you know, playing a very adaptive strategy where you're like, okay, we're mostly reacting. We're mostly working on being agile or are you very clear? Like, no, look, these are things we still want to achieve. And, you know, I don't know, like, you know, you spoke before about very chilling story about the IPO, non-IPO situation. Uh, you know, is that still something that in some in some shape or form at the horizon is there for you to contemplate or not really? We have very clear goals and initiatives, which have been very clearly communicated to every single member of the team. So we launched, senior leadership and I launched what we call DLC 3.0 in October. It has three overarching goals. Enterprise scale, which needs to be achieved via growth, best-in-class team, and materially increased speed to execution. Three goals. None of them are about a single project. None of them are about a single transaction. But those are the three overarching goals. And we have four initiatives to meet those goals. One is radically improve recruitment and retention. Two is even more amped up learning so that we can grow our next generation of managers and leaders so that we can reach our third initiative, which is to push down responsibility and decision-making by empowering those people with the right tools. And the fourth is the successful rational adoption of new technology to improve not only efficiency and productivity, but the team member experience. Mm-hmm. which feeds right back into retention. So three goals, four initiatives. We have a very clear macro strategy. There's so much I love about this conversation. I can't even tell you. Like, <laughs> I just think I really hope that uh, you guys have a book in the making too, to bring all of that together, which, uh, which would be great. I think it's from a family business perspective, but also just pure entrepreneurship as well in there, right? That is just really, uh, really good stuff. Thank you so much, Adam, for this. 
Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes.